Welcome back to Range Anxiety. It's a Sunday session. I'm your host, Martin Donnan, and today we're going to cover off a few things. But first up, thank you to Ludacris, one of my favorite performers, uh, with a rollout. My business. Now, while probably not Ludacris's uh, most fabled work, I think Area Codes goes down for those of you that are music aficionados as being its best uh, piece. It is, however, topical for today's epicast. But before we get on to that, we're going to speak about a couple of other things. So rollout will come later. Um, but I finally worked it out. I finally worked out why the Gen Zs and Millennials will look at me blankly uh, when they're bringing their car with 200,000 miles, 300,000 kilometres on the clock, and something's failed in it. You know, you know, like a 12-year-old car, and they look at me blankly. And while I go, yeah, that happens, and they go, well, why? You see, because times have changed and cars have got so much better over the years, people aren't, um, they weren't brought up with a culture of, of automotive failure, like, you know, all the old codgers my age, like anyone born in the 70s and 80s and 90s will know all about having shit cars as first cars. So, you know, if we had a car that made it to 100,000 kilometres or so, we were quite fortunate before the thing, you know, wholly and totally crapped itself. You know, let me think back to when I was a, you know, attacker. We had things like, you know, Mitsubishi Sigmas and with the Astron four-cylinder in them, weren't they great things? And they had rings, piston rings, made of silly putty, so that within about 18 months of new, they were blowing smoke like trains. They were just stuffed. You know, oh, yeah, soft ring problem. Mitsubishi will get around to fixing that. You know, it could be under warranty, maybe not. But And then we had old Ford Escorts and old Minis and various old, you know, Pommy Puss of the era that basically never worked even when it was new. So, you know, if an, it's like oil consumption. Yeah, you know, if you were using a litre of oil every 1,000 k's or, you know, 600 miles, that was considered good. It's when it got to about three litres uh, in that distance that you considered you had to do something about it. So there were lots of sales of products then through auto stores like, you know, oil stabilisers, rings in a can, you know, motor honey, all of that sort of crap that, you know, thickened up the oil and stopped it bypassing every shitful component inside these totally stuffed engines. I think my claim to fame was owning a Holden Tirana UC Sunbird that had the Opal motor in it. Possibly the only engine worse than the Aussie Starfire 4. Everyone remember the Starfire 4? It was in the Commodore 4 as well. It had uh, was a 161 cubic inch red motor with like two pots cut off the front of it. It was a horrific device, but only upstaged and totally upstaged by the filthy Opal engine. I think it was a 1.8 or a 1.9. I never looked at it that closely. It was so horrible. Um, and I had one in a UC Sunbird and it was like a nightclub smoke machine. It would use a litre of oil a day when you were driving it five minutes in each direction. It smoked, it chundered, it rattled, and it was stuffed. But, you know, the funny thing was, I wasn't the only one on the road that was suffering these problems with these sorts of cars. It was nothing. 
um, to pull up at the lights and see cars smoking their heads off, you know, with oil pumping and belching out of them, nothing. Today it's like, wow, have a look at the smoke coming out of that thing. Uh, you know, like it's an oddity and a rarity, and especially to young kids, they're like, oh, is that thing on fire inside the motor? Well, yeah, pretty much, actually. Um, and, uh, yeah, I saw it yesterday, first time in a while, and it, it was a smoky, horrible car, and it was, a, it was barely new. It was, you know, three or four years old, but it was a diesel. And you'll see them just belching out putrid clouds of white smoke when they have, like, a high-pressure injector failure. You know, the diesel unburnt fuel's bright white and acrid, and, you know, it even gets through the HEPA filters on the Teslas, and it stinks. And now these people driving along, chundering away, you know, and it's not that unusual. I, I remember I bought a, in 2008 or nine. I bought a brand new C220 CDI Mercedes W204. And just out of the blue, tuned or untuned, you'd be driving along and it would chunder clouds, particularly when you were high speed, like, you know, open road stuff, it would chunder clouds that would basically make the car, like, put out the lights behind you, you know, it would blow and burn that much fuel, and it was horrific, and I just wondered what the hell was going on with this car, until a couple of years after I'd got rid of it, I was talking to one of the salesmen who was in the team that originally sold me the car, and said, oh, yeah, they had a lot of injector failures, those things, but we never notified you, and we told you it was normal, because we never had the injectors in stock to be able to fix them, there was that much of a, you know, pandemic on faulty injectors at the time. So I'm there, oh, thanks a lot, guys and girls. Yeah, so, you know, I had a car that was faulty from you that did the same thing. So, yeah, people don't understand that there was a once upon a time, um, sorry, my nose is itchy, I hope you can't hear me scratching it on the Epicast, there was once upon a time when cars were mainly shit and we all learned to cope with it. I remember it was like a blessing if you had a full brake pedal in, like, you know, one of the first cars you owned. You didn't have to pump it once or twice to get pressure up because the, you know, master cylinder was bypassing and leaking and the dirty wheel cylinders in, in the drum brakes were, um, you know, bypassing and leaking and worn out and the linings were covered in brake fluid. It was like amazing if you had a car uh, with a brake pedal. And, you know, maybe it was just me because I was a broke-ass student and just a broke-ass in general, still am actually, um, and maybe it was just me, but we understood these things now. You know, my eldest daughter's 19 years of age, coming up 20. She's got a brand new Mitsubishi Mirage. And while it is essentially those things are an enema on wheels, everything works. The engine works. It doesn't blow smoke. The brakes work. Everything works as, you know, horrid little car in some ways. I mean, but it's brand new. You know, I didn't own my first brand new car till I was in my late 30s. But no, kids today get a brand new car because it's so cheap. Not my doing, by the way. And I would have rather she learn how to drive a manual and put up with some chundering piece of shit because at least it gives kids of this generation a bit of respect for, you know, what goes on inside a car and what car ownership's about. So, you know, instead of having a car that barely works and trying to keep it in good order, they get a brand new car and they turn it into an absolute brothel on the interior old clothes, shoes, food wrappers. Oh, I can't stand that. I'm always a stickler for having a cleanish car, you know. In fact, I'll wash my own cars like once a week because that's sort of what we were brought up to do, but something that's sadly been missing. 
from this current generation. So rather than sit here and show my age and talk about, you know, how disappointed I am in the current generation, understand there is a cultural and a, and, and a generation divide where people my age will go, okay, well, your engine's lasted 200,000 kilometres, um, be happy. And when it's two or three hundred kilometre, a thousand kilometres old, don't try and double its horsepower and then go, wow, it's crapped itself, it's failed, something and it's broken because you were bloody lucky to get there in the first place. Maybe the whole new era of Chinese shit boxes that being imported here um, on the cheap are going to uh, recalibrate everyone's expectations. But, you know, they're probably not that bad because they use a lot of older European technology in them that mainly the bugs are sorted out of. So maybe even that won't give kids the, the, the heads up, you know. And obviously with the in EV influx that's occurring when cheap versions of those come online, you know, I doubt that they're going to give the kids uh, much of a reason to realise that cars are wholly and mainly or were crap because they'll probably keep going forever because there's no moving parts in them. So, yeah, it's a whole lot of fun having to bleed brakes and constantly check oil and, you know, fill the oil and check the petrol every time you went to the, the gas station. Um, speaking of which, there's been some real funny memes online when uh, talking of the gas shortage in the US, you know, the cyber hack that have basically shut down the East Coast supply uh, with the ransomware, which uh, we don't pay terrorists. Well, uh, yeah, the fuel companies, uh, pipeline people, authority involved in this case certainly did. So don't worry, there'll be a hack every bloody week now. Easy money. Um, people hoarding fuel. You know, we talk about the people on autopilot that are allegedly on autopilot, which has proven to be not so, that drove into a tree. What about the people with like aquarium bags, plastic bags full of uh, gasoline, petrol in their trunks, boots driving into trees and going up in flames? And, you know, it just proves that stupid is as stupid does, to quote uh, Forrest Gump. Yep, it happens. So on to today's topic of a rollout. Now, those of you that have been drag racing for a little while, and I'm fortunate enough to have uh, misspent some of my youth at the drag strip, it gives me a chuckle when we're talking about new cars, uh, online cars, or whatever, cars that have come out, and all of a sudden now, there's this interest amongst, you know, the vloggers that get out there and they make their YouTube videos because none of them have any money to access a proper drag strip. They get shitty old roads or private roads or clapped out old runways and, you know, put their little GPS timer down and do their naught to 60s and, you know, or try and do their 400 metre quarter mile times badly normally on all of these wet, damp tracks with grass growing through them and lawn clippings and dirt and shit everywhere. And so now it's like they're the cool because they don't use rollout. Well, they don't use rollout because A, they don't know how a drag strip works and they don't have access to the facility where rollout is used. Now, when we're talking about drag times, there is no, there, there's no gray area. Drag times are done on a drag strip. And in my opinion, it's even all right to use drag tires if, if need be, because one thing those that have been to the track will know is that a prepared drag strip with a street tire normally doesn't have, or in my experience, tell me if I'm wrong here, 
chime in, send me feedback to DTECH, D-T-E-C-H, at S-E-N-E-T, S-E-N-E-T dot com dot A-U. What I was saying is normally a prepared drag strip with, you know, some track bite and burn off surface and something that's des uh, designed to work well with a drag tyre is absolutely hopeless and has less grip than the road for a road tyre. And then there's uh, the guys there with their drag tyres are like normally livid at the guys with road tyres because their lack of grip and general shit and carry on that they do on the track rips up all the preparation that they need to get going. And in the words of the immortal, Big Sean, they're wasting valuable track time. And he's dead right. It was quite funny uh, when he first came out that many years at the uh, LS1 Drag Nationals, but spot on the money, Big Sean. Hope you're listening. And yeah, uh, so... All of this is 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 known, well known to people that have been around a drag strip before, but there's this whole new generation of vlogger viewers that study YouTube and will try and correct me when we're talking about drag times on uh, the internet, specifically Facebook at the moment, and say, yeah, but was that with rollout? Well, what do you reckon, idiot? It's at a drag strip. You've got your pre-stage lights on. There's your rollout. What do you think's going on? It's like, ah, oh, hang on, we've analysed the metabolic structure of duck shit and we're going to uh, alter this IHRA, you know, NHRA-approved CompuLink time card to take away the, the, the variance that rollout gives uh, to keep a bunch of snotty-nosed vloggers happy. Grow a pair, get a grip, no one's interested. So what actually is rollout? Like, for those of you that haven't been to a drag strip before, try it. It's great fun. You make some great friends, great memories. For those of you that have, you're all over it already. Um, the most common problem people uh, don't, the thing people don't understand with, with, with um, casual or social drag racing is that your time doesn't start when the lights turn green, the Christmas tree, the countdown. The time actually starts when you break the staging beams in which there is the rollout. So you'll probably notice when you see a car drive up to a drag strip, there's a gap. It's about a foot. There's two beams there. They're photo cell sensors. And the first one, you break the top light on the tree comes on. There are two yellow lights at the top in your lane or white lights. The first one comes on and says, you have broken the pre-stage beam. And the second one comes on when you have rolled forwards far enough to indicate that you are now in what's called pre-stage. Now, the moment you accelerate from that point in time in a non-heads-up, in a normal uh, timed event, the moment you actually turn those stage lights off by moving forward, your time starts now. Now, that distance is about a foot, 0.3 of a metre or so. It's not very far. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny little distance. It's not some great advantage or some great head start. But then people go, oh, there's rollouts to so take a foot off. Well, and the vloggers will say, yeah, that rollout, that's a foot. Well, that depends too. In my limited knowledge and experience uh, of drag racing, it would depend how you stage, whether you deep stage, whether you shallow stage. There are different ways you can stage to change 
what's your elapsed time and mile an hour is going to be. Now, now we're talking when you're trying to cut tenths or hundredths. We're not trying to talk about when you're trying to cha- uh, you know, chase half a second. That ain't happening. Right, drag strip is what it is. But the smart drag racers, the experienced guys, will stage and and alter the you know the way they stage in within that foot to try and like cook the head of their competitor or try and uh, get a reduced ET or an increased mile per hour. Drag racing is very very technical. It's not um, something that a vlogger with a GPS or a drift box could really understand or get their head around because most of them are numpties um, with a press car, right? Leave drag racing and uh, you know putting it down or talking it up to those of us that have actually cut our teeth on it and had something to do with it. Now, I may have had that totally wrong, but that's the way I've always drag raced and that's my understanding of how the beams work. So, Big Sean, if you're listening, if you want to get, you know, send me an email and kick my ass or ring me up and tell me I'm wrong, then please be it. Oh, look, a Subaru WRX. They seem to haunt me, STIs. He came past. Now, I must be very, very careful when I leave here because there could be coolant on the ground. I actually like WRXs. Oh, look, this is a supercar cruise. Integra Type R, DC. Oh, one of my favourite cars. Wow, there's a supercar cruise. I might have to join in and give them a bit of 400 volts of fun in a minute. Look, all of this talk of rollout is, is, came up because, as you know, I've been hanging out, hanging out and hanging out for the Tesla Model S Plaid and a Plaid, Tesla Model S Plaid, and it's starting to break cover now. Deliveries are happening in the next two weeks, apparently. Sounds like something I'd promise. But no, they're out there. And, uh, some Canadian Tesla club was at the drag strip in Bakersfield, which is not far down the road from the Fremont factory in California, and just so happened to come across a filming episode for the Jay Leno show. Now, this may all be wrong, but Jay was there, and the Tesla Model S Plaid was there, and they got to watch it, and they sneakily filmed it, but they did not release the times because that is just not on and they'll let Jay Leno do it. But they were quite happy to report that with a Tesla driver or a, it might have been a, one of um, Jay Leno's um, test drivers, may have been Randy Pobbs to someone like that, in the car uh, at the strip, the car run ran a blistering 9.23 second quarter mile at 152.16 mile per hour, which is staggering, and should that be fact, which I believe it is, will make it the fastest production car, uh, legitimate production car in the world, not a one-off hyper special of which only five are made and none have been uh, delivered yet. This is a proper production car that you and I can buy. 9.23 seconds, which is absolutely missile fast and phenomenal from a five to seven seater, two and a half ton road car. That'll do 500 odd miles, you know, 800 Ks between charges. That is just nuts. And then to back it up, apparently Jay went out with two passengers in the car. So one in the back, one in the front and him in the driver's seat. And he went out and ran a 9.50 with a couple of hundred kilo, you know, like two big adults, extra to Jay, who's not an inconsequential guy, nine and a half second pass, that is bloody mental. So 
I put up, I got a photo of the car, uh, actually, on, that I sort of um, got off Twitter. A photo of the car staged with the two pre-stage lights on. It was a grey plaid uh, Model S, and I got a photo of it at the track, and first thing I get, Ilo Road is 9.3 at 152.16. Nuff said, or something like that, you know. Didn't say anything else. Didn't rab it on. Didn't talk about the state of tune. Didn't talk about the wheels, the tyres, anything else. And the first thing I get, apart from someone joking, say, how do I drive it from Adelaide, Melbourne to Perth, you know, to 2,000 kilometres on a charge? You know, that was a joke. But the first real comment I got was, is that with rollout? Well, of course it bloody is. It's a drag strip. Drag strips have rollout. And I don't actually care what time the car would allegedly do on the road it really doesn't matter do it does it when it's the fastest car in the bloody world right it doesn't matter if you shave a tenth off or add a tenth on here or there it's a bloody low nine second missile now the footage uh, because they had a professional filming crew there and again this is just from the tesla drivers club canada i believe it was they had a professional film crew there for Jay Leno's Garage, so we should see that very, very soon on his, you know, YouTube show that or his CNBC show that has a YouTube. I think he's got three and a half million subscribers or something. So it's going to be a massive, big deal. And I know that Musk, um, Big Daddy, as people hate me calling him, uh, particularly you, Phelpsy, apparently, allegedly, is mates with. Um, Leno to the point where, you know, Leno got to drive the Cybertruck down one of the boring tunnels and, you know, Leno's done Model S ludicrous mode before and he reviewed the Model Y in some depth before anybody else. So, yeah, Leno's uh, got a pretty good collection. He, he's very well reputed and highly suspect, uh, respected, suspected. If something's shit, Jay, you know, will say it's shit. And if something's going to peel your face off like the Model S Plaid's going to, he's going to say that too. So I, I think it's really good. That if you're going to give your new hypercar, let's face it, it's a $220,000 in Australia hypercar. Anything that does a flat nine-second quarter or close to is a bloody hypercar. And Eddie gave it to Leno because Leno is trusted, he's respected, he's experienced, and he'll tell it like it is. And the bad news for the, are you using rollout at a drag strip? The bad news for that crew is that from what I could see in the photographs, the car had the standard wheels and tyres on it that the Plaid is, uh, comes with in the configurator online when you order one. Now, I'm not sure what actually those tyres are, but the car was on standard rims. And knowing the way the grip levels are in those things and on a track that clearly looked in the photographs not to be you know, freshly prepped with the exercise, but then again, I may be wrong. Jay may come out and say it was. It would mo be no great disadvantage if it had like a, you know, like a super soft pilot sport or something on it out the box, which I think, you know, a car that's, that's going to do naught to 100 in less than two seconds, 1.99 or 1.98 is, is the number they're kind of claiming with rollout. Yes, I know there's been YouTube videos saying it's impossible without rollout. Yeah, maybe so. Who bloody cares? It is earth-shattering fast. So I think we've covered that pretty well today in this Epicast. There is a difference between those that can and those that have done and those 
to get everything they need to know about motor cars from vloggers and don't really have much of a clue what they're talking about. So I hope you really enjoyed this Epicast. I actually enjoyed doing it and I'm really happy that the Plaid is probably going to make be making a home in one of our garages here in Australia pretty soon. So stay tuned in and get ready for more range anxiety very soon.